Welcome to Diving Board, a show about artists, the art they create, and the wide range of social and cultural ideas they explore. I'm Bill Valerio, and I run the Woodmere Art Museum, where we tell the stories of Philadelphia's art and artists. On this episode, we're diving into Group 55, which was an abstract painter's group that took shape in Philadelphia in the mid-1950s. Group 55 consisted of Philadelphia painters, architects, musicians, and dancers who organized a series of exhibitions and public forums across the city. They presented their work as a catalyst for vigorous public dialogue about the role of art and science in the post-World War II era. To learn more about their efforts, we're going to hear from Barbara Wallanen. She's a distinguished art historian who specializes in American modernism and the guest curator of our exhibition, Group 55 and Mid-Century Abstraction in Philadelphia, which is on view at Woodmere through January 2021. Barbara has written an extensive and wonderful essay for our catalog, and it represents the first detailed account of the accomplishments of Group 55 and its subsequent offshoot, the Philadelphia Abstract Artists. Group 55 did have an impact on Philadelphia at the time, and I think, I believe, really until today, all this half a century later. The artists were passionate, they inspired people, they taught people about art, they supported each other, and many of the artists were teachers, and they kept teaching, and their students became teachers, and these ideas really flowed down into this abstract strain of art that still continues in Philadelphia today, even though Philadelphia is known historically for being very strong in representational art and painting. After Barbara, we'll hear from Patricia Stark Feinstein. Her late husband, the artist Sam Feinstein, led Group 55, and Pat has been a devoted steward of his legacy. Pat has collaborated with Woodmere to make possible the exhibition Sam Feinstein Immersive Abstraction, which runs through January 2021. And at the conclusion of this episode, my friend, the painter Bill Scott, will share some reflections about being an abstract painter. He will also talk about his friend, the artist Keita Broadhead, who was part of Group 55. Three of Broadhead's works are in the Group 55 exhibition at Woodmere, two of which were gifts from Bill. As we're about to hear from Barbara Willennan, Group 55 was led by the artist Sam Feinstein. She'll be talking about Feinstein and will make reference to others who were involved in Group 55, including architect Louis Kahn, composer George Rockberg, and painters Ron Bechtel, Keita Broadhead, Michael Siliberti, Sam Fried, Sanford Greenberg, Raymond Hendler, Francis Lackman, Sam Mayton, Patricia Mangione, Jane Piper, and Dora Staffel. I am Barbara Willannon, and I got involved with Group 55 through doing my PhD dissertation on Arthur B. Carls, who's connected with the group. And I interviewed every student of Carls I could find and got to write on some of them. And several of them were part of Group 55 and told me about it. But I never knew a lot about it in detail. So when I finally met Pat Stark Feinstein and found out her husband had organized it, 
I got really intrigued with knowing about it. And the other thing was that Sam Feinstein had written the best review of Carl's that I ever saw in 1953. And I kept the review, always remembered it, but I didn't know who he was. And that's because he stopped exhibiting his work and you know his name wasn't out there. So to put this all together for me was really fun. And going through the minutes and seeing Keita Broadhead's handwriting, I knew so well, I knew her well, it's been very personally important to me. Group 55 was organized by Sam Feinstein and I think some of his friends. And it was a group of artists in Philadelphia who were painting abstractly. They were aware of the abstract expressionist artists in New York and they wanted to get together to talk about their work, to think about it, to display it. And part of their purpose was to educate the public about what abstract art was, how it was important, and how it really fit into the world of 1955 when they first met. Why did they call it Group 55? It's because they felt that abstract art was the art for now, their present time. And it was really important for people to understand that and to see how it fit with the other arts at the time, with architecture and music and actually other things like poetry and science. All these things were happening and changing in 1955, and they felt they were in tune with it and wanted people to understand that. I think that 1955 was Getting more optimistic, probably, after the war, a lot of the New York abstract expressionist artists were right after World War II and all the things that were happening, the bombs that had been dropped, the Holocaust. I mean, there were so much negative things in the world. But by the mid-50s, I think maybe things were opening up. People were feeling more positive about the future, about good things that science could bring, about the changes in the arts. So I think there was a positive impetus to it. But they were thinking and writing about the Cold War and the atomic bomb, all the anti-communist things, which impacted a lot of the artists and the way they felt about the world. There were a lot of negative things going on, too. The mission was to really stimulate discussion about paintings. And so right away when they started, in January 1956, had an exhibition of the members and had planned a forum which was a discussion among artists, and then they expanded it to other people, to laymen. The first one, though, had Louis Kahn and George Rockberg, who were friends of Sam Feinstein, talking about architecture, music, trying to talk about how all the arts were changing, and then a lot of discussion of the paintings. And they wanted to have paintings around them at the forums. So the first forum... People were so interested in it. They only had the little gallery space. They turned 200 people away. I mean, to me, that's amazing. How many people were excited about this? Then they were able to reserve big space at the free library in Philadelphia that could hold almost 400 people. And so many more people could come in. So the idea of the forum was to talk to the public, also have discussion from the audience of how all these different arts were interconnected, and also trying to get people to understand how to look at abstract painting. How to, Sometimes they talked about how can you tell which painting is better than another one. What are, particularly Raymond Hendler, who was one of the co-founders, very articulate. How there's non-representative painting, there's abstract painting based on something visual, there's other 
painting that just comes out of the artist's mind. And they were very intellectual about how they were trying to talk about, define what the range of painting is and why it was important. Sam Feinstein started the group. He was a very strong leader, had strong ideas. He was really dedicated to this idea of educating the public. And I see a contrast between what the artists in New York were doing at the club that they had, because that was only for themselves, for the members, people that they invited, not for the general public, anybody that wanted to learn about it, where in Philadelphia it was much more community-based. They wanted to open it up to the whole community, which I think is a really beautiful thing about it. So I think that is kind of the spirit of Philadelphia with maybe some of the Quaker foundations. There's a whole legacy of that. A lot of the artists in the group were Jewish, and I like to think they were very interested in intellectual things and discussion and interacting with each other, very passionate, were willing to put time and energy into making things happen in a very beautiful way. They all pitched in and they made posters and they donated money and they were all really working hard on it. And really after the first year, some of the people had some problems with it. And I think part of it would maybe was a little bit of jealousy because Sam Feinstein was in every forum. He was talking on the radio. He was giving lectures. He was really the leader of it and recognized as the leader of it. But some of the artists felt that they wanted to be in a professional group, only high-level professionals, whereas a number of the members were students of Sam Feinstein. Even though they were exhibiting their work, they really were professional. But anyway, there was an issue there that sometimes they wanted to, they would have these very serious membership meetings every month, and they would bring up proposals one time as nobody can be a member who's a student of another member. That got rejected. Should we still have forums? People voted yes to have the forums. And these artists sort of switched over and went into this new group, which called themselves Philadelphia Abstract Artists. It's really the same group, and a lot of the ideals were similar, but I think they didn't want it to be quite so serious. They didn't want to put so much time into the forums. They would still go to the things that Sam Feinstein was doing, but it was really only a smaller number of the artists were left, including a lot of his loyal students were still being exhibited. So when I was trying to do the history of these groups and figure out who's in it, how did it work, I realized it was like a stream where you had Group 55, part of it continued under the name of Group 55, and part of it flowed off into the Philadelphia Abstract Artists, but it was the same people. Some of the artists were still exhibiting later, all through the 60s, so it continued. So one of the important things about these artists were many of them were very important teachers at the Philadelphia College of Art, later the University of the Arts, Fleischer Art Memorial. They had students that continued to believe a lot of the things they believed about how important painting was, how if you change one little thing in one painting, one little color area, it's going to change the whole painting. It's going to make it different. And how you look for these abstract values, even if the painting is representational, which is something Feinstein talked about. So Group 55 did have an impact on Philadelphia at the time, and I think, I believe, really until today, all this half a century later, the artists were passionate, they inspired people, they taught people about art, they supported each other, 
And many of the artists were teachers and they kept teaching and their students became teachers. And these ideas really flowed down into this abstract strain of art that still continues in Philadelphia today, even though Philadelphia is known historically for being very strong in representational art and painting. So both Keita Broadhead and Jane Piper are artists that I got to know and have written about for exhibitions. And they got a lot, I think, from Group 55. And Jane Piper went back to doing paintings that were more representational. She loved to paint still lifes and got very well known for those. But knowing her, she would put a painting up in her dining room and look at it and look at it and look at it and see if she wanted to change one little tiny place. That was going to change just one color in the painting. She was working with color, shape, space in the painting. Those were all things they were talking about in Group 55. Keita Broadhead, I always admire because she kept thinking about painting. And she lived to be 101, and she was still painting still thinking about things. She was very interested in scientific things. She read about it. She started to incorporate forms that really look like things that you see out of the great big Hubble telescope and things like that. But with something she was deeply involved in and interested in, she was trying to look ahead to the future in her painting. She would talk about that, trying to like look into the future. And that was something I think that the Group 55 artists thought about too. Philadelphia culture is distinctive. I mean, a lot of it is the strength of the, you know, all of the art schools, education. There's the Pennsylvania Academy, now the University of the Arts, the University of Pennsylvania, the Fleischer Memorial. For a fairly small city, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of interest and groundwork for people to learn about art. And that was important. I didn't think part of the Group 55. They were all very serious. I think what, personally, I think, when I was researching, these artists are beautiful artists, beautiful paintings. People love their work, enjoy them so much. You know, they did not get written into the books about abstract expressionism. They were like part of that movement, second generation abstract expressionists. Some of their work is as high quality as any of the artists that are in the Museum of Modern Art. And they kind of did not get written into that history in the same way, just from that being a little, not that far away from New York. But really, they're part of that story. Now we're going to hear from Patricia Stark Feinstein. As we just heard from Barbara, Pat's late husband led Group 55 and is part of our rediscovery of Sam Feinstein and Philadelphia's mid-century abstract painters, Pat is going to describe who Sam was and speak to his legacy as an artist. We're also going to hear some clips of Sam from a video he made in the 1980s on Cape Cod in the context of an exhibition of his work. He had not been showing his work publicly for years, and so this recording captures him at a moment of re-emergence as an artist in the public light. I've been putting his work out, reintroducing people to Sam's work because he stopped showing. He showed a great deal in the 1950s in New York galleries, Provincetown galleries, and the few modern galleries here in Philadelphia. So 
ultimately, he had a long career in Philadelphia, but he was not known for the last 40 years except in his private classes. And so it was really important to me to bring his work back because he, as a leader and founder of Group 55, he had a major voice in Philadelphia during the 1950s. I have a review that says anybody who knows anything about abstract art knows Sam Feinstein and goes on and on talking about him, and that was 1958. Sam was of the generation, I think it was an entire generation, that really believed so much in the power of culture and the power of painting and art and music to uplift people, to really alter civilization, to bring it to a higher level. And, you know, the world has changed now in so many ways, but he absolutely believed in that his entire life and conveyed that through his teaching and through his commitment to art. He continued to paint for the last 40 years, even when he wasn't showing. But he believed that everyone should be creative in one way or another, that it's like psychic breathing. And his classes were really, he once called them a spiritual gymnasium because every human being, every spirit needed to express themselves in their own individual way, that freedom of the individual that sort of blossomed in the 1950s and in abstract expressionism in particular. His early work shows his commitment to growth and experimentation. He was influenced very much by nature. He originally had a full academic training at what is now University of the Arts, and he was trained as a commercial artist, so he could be very realistic. But he went out into nature, had a trip to the Gaspé Peninsula, and his work just started to get rougher. And he started to feel the inner energies of nature, and that's really what he taught also. It wasn't the outside look of a tree. It was the dynamic driving forces that went through the tree that we don't even see, that he sensed and he wanted to bring to his art. And he believed that that was what the true value of art was, to find the deepest kind of reality, reality that goes beyond the just superficial look or the immediate time period or the immediate look of anything for that matter. It was the inner drive, what he called plasticity, which he believed was going through all nature and all art. Nature is always uh, in you as well as outside of you. People assume that Nature is uh, everything around you, maybe, or only trees and things like that. But basically, every um, sense that you have, your sense of seeing, touching, smelling, hearing, and so on, registers within the human psyche. And they're there, just as a programmed uh, uh, computer is. We are the world's most complicated computers. And so you have that to begin with. And even if you begin with what... Uh, does not seem to be uh, an idea. Your idea is, is, is going to emerge uh, just as your particular gestures will, will come through uh, out of you and every different from mine. Uh, so that uh, you can begin on a conscious basis, uh, but uh, generally you have to go along with what's happening and give it its head. Otherwise, you come up with something that's arbitrary. You can manufacture a painting, which then uh, looks at a painter has to be a painting has to grow uh, organically, and uh, so you have to work organically. And he always said he was really a painter 
trying to become an artist. He thought of art as such a high calling that just to paint was not enough. It was this connection with nature's natural energetic drive and working together with that that made sense and that created art that other people could relate to, whether it was music or poetry or drama, whatever, something that became transcendent. But that's the purpose of a painting, to actually do the job, just as a dancer uh, uses limbs to convey uh, certain emotions. That's why it becomes a pantomime. That's why I talk in, in terms of emotive pantomime in my statement. That's what the painting has got to do in order to express itself as a persona of its own. His early work really reflects a whole period in art history. It's called social realism, where he was painting images of beggars on the street. There's one portrait where someone has stuffed newspapers into shoes instead of socks to keep warm. So he was very concerned about that. And he had come out of poverty himself as an immigrant from Russia. And so the struggles of everyday man really touched him. And you see that also as we head toward war, the works there. There's one with a woman with her hands over her face. He was a wonderful printmaker too. And it's actually, a, I believe, an aquatint. And it's called Air Raid, the terror that she's showing as war is coming. And he has several works of that sort. And then when he was in the army, he became an illustrator for medical journals and, you know, Load your ambulance gently so that not to incur any more harm to the patient. After World War II and during the atomic age and all the trials of that period, I think he believed that just a commitment to art would help people transcend the immediate suffering, transcend any immediate problems in the world and be everlasting in a way and meaningful to their lives to uplift them. And so his commitment went to the art itself during the 1950s and to teaching and to writing about art and showing what, helping people understand the importance of art, which he absolutely believed in. Your preconceived idea, if you want to call it that, is that it must come out to be a painting, that is to say, it must become a pictorial organism which uh, belongs to itself, where all the parts uh, fit together, uh, everything as necessary to everything else as the parts of a watch are to keep it going. That is the preconceived idea. But the content of the painting, the subject matter of the painting, all that sort of thing that gives people an immediate handle is something that the artist would be better off not thinking about initially it will automatically come through, just as genetic factors come through in the birth of a child. Throughout the 1950s, Sam experimented with paint and the medium itself and what it could do to express a whole range of feelings in a great number of paintings. Gradually, when abstract expressionism became a little bit more passe, he continued because he knew it was just the beginning of a way of expressing in abstract language. And he tended to refine and make more distinctive decisions about each color. He believed that color actually was the medium in which to convey energy, vibrance, that would be an equivalent to the actual experience of three-dimensional life.
So his focus was on color as well as the gesture. And he's worked on paintings over years to get the right color and underpainted, which is he would white out areas and go back and color them with yellow and orange, red, to bring it to a purple, perhaps, that would glow, absolutely glow. So his whole style became a combination of the more intellectual, but with the feeling quality, a blend of both the mind and the aesthetic feeling. But others became refined and worked on for decades, really. He continued to paint through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And some of these paintings were found in his studio, just rolled on, they're now acrylic. He switched to acrylic in the 1960s, in the late 60s. Some of them he showed in 1986, some of the ones that are here, and others had never been shown when he died. Many of his works have not been seen, and they're magnificent. The radiance, the light, the subtlety, the complexity. He said once near the end of his life that he was trying to get the intensity and density of life, and he aimed to do that in the way he would work with a painting or leave some areas more open, so there would be areas that were very complex and other areas that looked immediate and spontaneous, which is what life is about too, you know? Our lives are not just one thing, they're many. And so to convey in a single painting the complexities of life is something I think he sought to do. I can remember a time when I came to the Cape and uh, thought that I would do just black paintings because I'd had a very bad black winter. It started that way, but uh, the days were golden and the sky was blue and everything was beautiful and sort of broke uh, through. It, it just came through as really uh -huh. a golden painting instead of black, yes. But that too is a matter of, of allowing nature to simply work through you. Uh, the human being is really a kind of transmitter, you might say, like a radio or a TV set. And you allow the, or, the uh, natural, organic process of nature to go through you, but to be transformed into the medium you're working, in this case, painting. I'm Bill Scott. I'm a painter living in Philadelphia. I grew up in the suburbs, but I've lived in Philadelphia since 1974. I always went to the art museum starting when I was very young by myself. From around the age of 10, I would take the train into town and go to the Philadelphia Museum. And I don't think I went to Woodmere until I was already in art school when I entered the jury shows there. Abstract paintings, like any other kind of painting, there's really good abstract painting and there's terrible abstract painting. I've given up trying to explain it to people because I think in the end people see what they already know. They're either going to get it or they're not going to get it. I mean, I've certainly, as a painter, had my share of uninformed comments or comments made to me by people who really only look at the outside world as a way to inflate their own fragile ego to say, I'm right, they're wrong. and. I think probably as the Group 55 community, if they were trying to educate the public in abstract art, they probably also were maybe even trying to articulate it to themselves. 
and learn more because where else were they going to go except to each other? When I was in school, people were still talking about drawing versus color and which is superior or abstraction versus representation and which is better. And it's not as if there's a morality to making a picture or a morality to a subject matter. You know, it either works or it doesn't. The viewer is either moved or they're not. But if the artist isn't really totally involved and engaged with what they're doing, you know, why should they expect anyone else to look at it? I met Keita through Jane Piper. She was about 15 years older than Jane. At one point, for me, whenever paintings came up for auction somewhere, usually at Freeman's, if they were brightly colored and from the 1920s or 30s or teens, they were always listed as Carl's. And they weren't by Carl's, but they were paintings by people who obviously painted. They just weren't his. And I wanted to figure out who did all these paintings. And I had met a lot of his students, and Keto had been one of them. So I did an exhibition in 1987, and then in 2000, I did one at Woodmere of Students of Carl's. And when I met Keita, I tried to have people see her work. She hadn't had a show in the commercial gallery in Philadelphia in like 40 years. I mean, she showed here and there, but she didn't have anyone representing her. She started painting figures, still lifes and landscapes when she was in her 20s. And they became increasingly sort of expressionistic and exaggerated probably what some people would call arbitrary color. And then she became almost a completely abstract painter. There were still like references to things like a shell or a circle, a staircase. And the paint application went from being put on with a brush in a very painterly thick way to thinner application. And when she was older. She'd still painted on canvas, but she also painted on board, which I think allowed her to wipe things off much more thoroughly and to scrape down the paint to a hard surface. The difference between painting on a plaster wall or painting on a sheet that's hanging on a clothesline, you have a different push, a different tension. And she became much more of a surrealist painter, I think, or a almost a symbolist painter where she's painting circles and an idea that you project into the painting as much as it's projected out about infinity and timelessness and death and chaos, even though the paintings are rather tranquil. But she had a lot of energy and a lot of curiosity. She went to art shows and she looked at everything. And she didn't say, oh, no, I'm not interested in that. She would go and see it. I was really impressed when I read Barbara Wolanin's essay because there's a lot of painters I've never heard of and certainly don't know their work who were involved in this group. And it was a reminder of how many people in the arts over time disappear, even if they're omnipresent at the time when they're working, but they vanish. Philadelphia does have a self-deprecating 
identity crisis. I mean, I remember once a friend of mine showed my paintings or was talking me up to a woman he knew who collected art. And um, he was saying he's really good. And I heard the woman whisper to him, but not so quietly. He says, but he's from Philadelphia? Like, why would I get someone from Philadelphia? And I thought that's something I heard a lot when I was younger. And I thought, yeah, but you're a Philadelphia collector. And there's Philadelphia museums. You know, there's that Woody Guthrie song about Philadelphia lawyer. You know, it's like, I'm always referred to a painter from Philadelphia or a Philadelphia painter. I just would love to be a painter, not a Philadelphia painter. I was touched by how Barbara, in her essay, talked about, you know, the threat of the atom bomb and the feeling of isolation and powerlessness. And I think art is a way to connect. If you're a painter, you're pretty much always alone or you're almost always alone in that you make your work in your own studio and it's a solitary practice. I used to teach painting classes at several community art centers and I was so naive, I always tried to encourage the people individually and make them feel independent and kind of say, you know, you could do this at home, <laughs> but they had no desire to do it at home. They didn't have the ability to do it by themselves. They were there for the social part of it. To paint was an association to being part of a community and in a community actively, not to go home and paint alone and then go out to an opening or a show or a meeting and see people. But to them, the actual act was integral to being with people. And I don't really know what that means, but it's just an observation. Special thanks to Barbara Wallanen, Patricia Stark-Feinstein, and Bill Scott for taking the time to talk with us. I hope you'll come see both exhibitions at Woodmere, Group 55 and Mid-Century Abstraction in Philadelphia, and Sam Feinstein, Immersive Abstraction. Advanced time tickets are for sale online at woodmereartmuseum.org, where you can also find out more about our current and past exhibitions, digital catalogs, upcoming events, and other online resources. And do make sure to stay in touch with us on social media at Woodmere Art. You can also check out a third related exhibition featuring work from Sam Feinstein's early years, which is being organized at Springside Chestnut Hill Academy, where Feinstein once taught. Diving Board's producer is Stephanie Marutis of Covenda Media, and we had production assistance from Brad Linder. I'm Bill Valerio, and thank you for joining us. 